Welcome to Brea Talks, bringing you straightforward, accessible content from industry leaders and experts with no agendas or decisions to make. Just important topics affecting all of us and how they specifically apply to Brea. We'll clear out the noise, debunk myths, and give helpful, concise information. So now we invite you to listen in as Brea Talks. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Brea Talks. Tonight, we're talking traffic calming. I'm Dave Crabtree, Community Development Director for the City of Brea, and with me tonight is Mr. Bill Delo, who is the Managing Principal for IBI Group um, and all-around traffic guru. Bill, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Um, Bill is someone uh, that, that I've known for some time and well-known in Southern California and, and really California um, planning circles um, with particular expertise in, in um, uh, contemporary traffic circulation issues. And Bill, traffic calming, I, I'd just kind of like to get into it a little bit. Um, wanted to have a conversation with you tonight. and and really kind of hit on a few things of you know, how we got here, how traffic calming has become an issue uh, for communities, you know, what that might look like for Brea, uh, what are some of the problems, issues, myths that surround it, and what are some of the opportunities for, for the future. Um, so you know, traffic calming, uh, speed humps to roundabouts to other, uh, other things that are out there for me, you know, how, how did we get here? What's caused the need for traffic calming? What's, what's it all about? Yep. Well, thanks, Dave. Thanks for having me come in this evening and, and talking to you. Uh, you know, traffic calming, it, it's something that has been uh, in the lexicon for transportation planning and traffic engineering uh, for quite a while. Um, but I think more so in the last probably four to five years, um, I think one of the elements that uh, is new, there's always been traffic. There's always been people needing to get to where they need to go. Uh, via automobile, uh, but a new introduction to that commute and people's trips is technology. And everybody has a smartphone now, everybody has a map and a navigation system in their car with their phone, and they have apps like Google Maps and Waze that can tell them where they need to go and if there's a way to get them to their destination two minutes quicker than how they might go the normal way, it's going to tell them to go that way. And what that has really done and where it's really shifted, I think shifted the perception that people have of traffic is it's sending traffic onto streets that maybe didn't get traffic in the past. So those can be residential streets, they can be lower volume streets, but streets that people wouldn't normally travel on, these apps are now telling them, hey, you can go this way and it'll be too much, two minutes quicker. And people follow it and, and go there. You know, it's interesting. We, you know, I hadn't really thought of the technology angle, but you're so right. And, I think back on our experience here in Brea, and we are hearing from some neighborhoods now that we we hadn't heard about. I mean, I've been in in Brea for 30 years now, and you know, traffic calming. You'd you'd have some of those neighborhoods that were right off a major arterial, and we'd you know have a, we've had a long-standing uh, speed bump or speed hump program mm -hmm. in town that you know folks can look into with our traffic engineers, but. Yeah, with, with Waze and some of those apps, we're starting to hear from, from some of the other uh, uh, communities, so, or some of the other neighborhoods in our mm -hmm. community. Um, what, what are some of the experiences that uh, you know, you've had with, 
with that technology and, and good responses from you know from from you and your colleagues out there of solutions. Can you give us some war stories or yeah. or some what ifs? <laughs> sure. I think uh, you know I think there's it's an issue that's not only in Brea but it's communities really throughout Southern California because you know there's traffic everywhere you go in Orange County and Los Angeles County, and so I think the you know what people are starting to to look at and what cities are, are really grappling with is what is the best way to deal with that. Uh, you know, one of the ways that are an area that we've worked with with several cities and that several cities have explored is just a menu of different types of ways you look to slow traffic down. One of the key items with this technology is it's looking at these streets and it's finding that, it, you know, like I said, a couple minutes faster to go a certain way. So if you can do things like speed humps or maybe like real small traffic circles at intersections or other measures like that, you can start to slow traffic down and slow people down. And then that helps to feed into that technology and they realize, oh, it, that isn't as good of a way as it used to be in the past we won't send cars this way, we'll send them a different way, maybe keep them on the main road. So it's very much a, uh, not only a traffic volume answer, where you're looking for ways to maybe prevent people from traveling into a neighborhood, but it's instead looking at ways to slow traffic down and getting cars to travel slower. And that really is, I think, the answer not only on the technology side, but also how to have the, the neighborhood accept that traffic calming strategy. Because you're not making it harder for people to be able to get to their own place of residence or their own house. You're just having them do it in a slower manner. And it actually makes their street better because people are traveling mm -hmm. slower on that street as well. Are there, with the, the tools in the toolkit, are, are, you know, are there some things that you're finding, you know, contemporary practice, um, you know, that, that residents, that neighborhoods are, are more, um, you know, that are better for neighborhoods, that can, that can maybe be even be multi-beneficial. I mean, I think of, you know, the old traditional speed hump, and it mm -hmm. kind of serves that singular purpose, but what, what are, you know, some of the recent uh, things that have, have really been strongly well-received, say. Mm -hmm. So some of the, the other strategies that we'll look at instead of just the speed humps, you know, one of the challenges with speed humps is that it, they're very effective at slowing traffic down, but they slow everyone down. And they also slow down, for example, emergency vehicles, police cars and fire trucks. They have to slow down on, theirs too, on speed humps too. So there's a, a concern about how those might operate with emergency response times and, and being able to, to get around town. So what we found is that there's other strategies that help to reduce automobile speeds, but don't have that impact on emergency vehicles. And a lot of times the strategies that we've been looking at and working out with, with cities and with residents and neighborhoods are strategies that not only slow traffic, automobile traffic, but they help promote bicycle and pedestrian transportation as well. So as I mentioned earlier, the traffic circles. A lot of times you can put in a traffic circle instead of or in place of a stop sign and that can help to slow traffic, but at the same time also make a street better and more conducive to bicycling. So a lot of times traffic circles will be used with streets that are kind of termed in, in our industry bicycle friendly or bicycle boulevards where they prioritize the movement of bicycles along a street. And in that case, you look for traffic circles and other measures that really get automobile speeds down to about 15 to 20 miles per hour. 
which is what a person riding a bicycle will typically travel at too. So you have bicycles and cars traveling at the same speed, you're slowing traffic down, you're discouraging cut through traffic from going on that street, but you have the secondary benefit of actually encouraging people to get out and ride their bike and be able to ride their bike along that street. And one of the other key items with those traffic circles and some of the other measures is that they have areas where you can put in landscaping. And so you can help to enhance the neighborhood, beautify the neighborhood, beautify the street by introducing landscaping or public art or other strategies such as that as well. Great. It's like the, the broccoli of traffic uh, calming exactly. measures. I appreciate your mentioning you know, uh, the bicycling and so forth. And, and you know, we've really appreciated your group's work with, with Brea and our uh, active transportation, alternative transportation programs that we're working on. One of the things that we've heard from our community, both residential community and the business community, um, through our public outreach, is that there is an interest um, in, in bicycling as mm -hmm. a legitimate alternative transportation uh, mode in town. Um, maybe you can, uh, you know, as I think of traffic calming, mm -hmm. um, you know, it also, uh, to your point, you know, makes it a little safer for the cyclists out there too, where we've got to have them on the roadway. but. I'm wondering, you know, some of the approaches and contemporary practice for, you know, retrofitting streets to make it more conducive to the cycling. Can you talk to me a little bit about that? And, and you know, right. we've got some areas where maybe we can't afford to have a dedicated off-track um, cycle track or something. Mm -hmm. But tell me a little more about, you know, some of the things going on in the cycling world out right. there. Right. And with on-street bicycling, I think that's really where there's been a lot of focus within the industry and within kind of the state of the practice for bicycle planning um, over really probably the last five to 10 years and coming up with different strategies to make it more comfortable and more safe for people to ride their bicycle on a wide variety of streets. And so really where the practice is starting to evolve is in historically, and you'll see it not only on streets here in Brea, but all over Southern California, you have an arterial roadway, multiple lanes of traffic where traffic may go 40, 45, 50 miles per hour. And then the bike lane is right now with just a, a two inch little white stripe right. that's there and it's right next to the gutter and right next to the curb. I know those bike lanes. And yep. it, yeah, we, we both know them well and I'm yeah. sure lots of other people do. It's not the most comfortable feeling when you're riding on your bike in that lane and a car goes by you or a truck at 50 miles per hour. And so really the, the focus in the industry and the practice has been over the last five years for there's higher volume streets where there's a lot of traffic, a lot of traffic that's traveling really fast, is to create and introduce some form of separation between the cyclist and the cars. And that can be as simple as what's termed a buffer, where you're, you're adding more striping instead of it just being a two or four inch stripe, it might actually be a one to two foot multiple stripes that are there, and so there's more of a physical separation and distance wise between the cyclists and cars. Or some cities have actually gone the next step of adding that buffer, but then also adding some sort of vertical separation, such mm. as a little flexible bollard, or in some cases even a curb, to create uh, a more physical separation and that really to increase the comfort for cyclists. One of the, the key items for bicyclists is that feeling of comfort. If you don't feel comfortable and you don't feel safe, most people Not aren't going to go out and, yeah, and ride their bike. Yeah. And so it's how can we make people comfortable? How do we make them feel safe? 
And then when you move off of the arterial streets and you move to lower volume streets, residential streets, that's kind of that next phase of the bicycle planning. And that also ties back into the traffic calming and really where the two can start to intersect is those lower volume streets that I mentioned where you make them a bicycle friendly street or a bicycle boulevard. You're able to introduce the same kind of strategies that make it nice for bicyclists to ride also help to calm traffic. And it's a way to encourage people who maybe even with the larger measures of separated bicycle lanes or separated bicycle facilities on an arterial still wouldn't be comfortable with it. They're much more comfortable on a street where cars are traveling slower, there's much less traffic in general. And so it's that combination of traffic calming and a bicycle friendly street on a lower volume street that can introduce that or encourage those people to, to get out and ride. And you have that, that dual benefit of not only reducing traffic and calming traffic for the residents, right. but providing cyclists another way to get around town. Yeah, I know as a driver, um, I'll, you know, if, if I'm experiencing some of those newer uh, methods that are out there and you have the, uh, you know, the, the green pavement, um, you know, some of those markers mm -hmm. and things as a, as a motorist, that slows me down to, to see those things. So it's, a, it's you know, great for the cyclists, great for the traffic calming uh, you know, benefit there as well. Um, some of this talk makes me um, think of our, our planning staff, our, our engineering staff here at the city, and um, put you on the spot a little bit and see if anything comes to mind. But I'm wondering if you'd have any, any tips or, or, uh, or you know, best practices for our staff as we're thinking of new subdivisions mm -hmm. and what kind of things you can build into them from the get-go when you've got that blank sheet of paper. Not that we get that opportunity very often. Um, our work is often retrofitting existing neighborhoods, but um, what are some of the practices out there for new subdivision design that, that tend to lend towards that, that more traffic, uh, you know, calming, friendly atmosphere? Mm -hmm. I think, you know, when you have a, a new development, a new subdivision, it's really, it's what you mentioned, it's that blank slate. And so as you look at street design, in those new neighborhoods, that's really the opportunity to say, okay, we do get to start from scratch. It's not a retrofit. How should the street operate, not only for cars, but for bicyclists and for pedestrians? And so you can look at all three of those different components and really start to design a street that's tailored to serve each one of those modes of transportation. And so I think that's, that's really the, the exciting thing about a new community or a new development is that opportunity to kind of do it right and get that balance right to begin with. And so I think it's, it's that opportunity to be maybe a little bit creative with what you want to do and look for different ways to, to implement and serve each of those modes of transportation. Great. Um, selfishly, I'm going to take a moment to ask you if there are any things, um, I mean, I'm a, I'm a planner by education and, and background. Um, but I interact constantly with our engineering staff, our public mm -hmm. work staff, and I appreciate and respect that they'll have certain needs for um, you know very technical specifications on things. And um, uh, you know, in your practice, I know you get to, to translate a lot between the engineering world and the planning world. Any tips for our staff on, on how we can um, help the engineers and the engineers might help some of the issues planners deal with? Yeah, you know, one of the, the key things that I think has been successful for us, you know, and myself as a planner and, and working with engineers is 
you know, it goes a little bit to that creativity, but it's also uh, looking at things on a temporary basis and doing a pilot project. Um, mm. One of the, the key items when you look at things from a planning or engineering standpoint, especially if it's something that's new to your city or maybe new to the region and you know, nobody's tried it before, there's a lot of hesitation to be that first one to go out there sure. and you know, kind of stick your neck out there and, and do that. So one of the things that's been really successful in work we've done is doing a pilot project or a temporary installation of a type of improvement. And it can be for a 24 hour period, it could be for a few weeks. It gives you as city staff an opportunity to observe and see how things work and how they operate. And it also gives the residents and the drivers and cyclists and pedestrians an opportunity to see how things work, see how things operate, and be able to you know, pick up the phone and call City Hall if something's working or yep. if it's not working and be able to tell you. But you get that instantaneous feedback. And I think that's something, as we've worked in, in several different cities around Southern California, that's been really informative for our work and it's been really informative for city staff too, to see those installations and see it happen and then be able to you know, take it out and then say, okay, what lessons have we learned from this? How do we make it better when we actually build it on a permanent basis. Excellent, I think that's great insight. Appreciate that and I'll share that with our staff. Now Bill, we've come to the point of, of this discussion that I like to call the last word. I want to give you the chance to impart on me any, any final thought or uh, uh, words of wisdom in the, the big LW. What do you got for me? I, I think you know my final word would be creativity. I think don't be afraid to be creative when you're planning or engineering. You know a lot of the, the general sense is to go by the book, and really as we look at traffic, we look at traffic calming, we look at mobility and people wanting to get around. It's changing so quickly these days with technology and the way people want to move, and so don't be afraid to be creative. And the ways you do that. You, you, be, uh, you do your temporary installations, you do your pilot projects, you work with residents, you work with other cities, and you be creative and you learn as, as you go, and you learn as other cities implement, and see what works, and if it works, you run with it and, and implement it. Excellent. Bill, I so appreciate it. Thanks for joining me tonight, and for our folks viewing, um, Again, Dave Crabtree, Bill Delo, thank you so much. And uh, we'll bid you adieu until we meet again on Brea Talks. Um, please continue to stay tuned uh, for our next exciting episode. Thanks. Good night.